Grant, O Lord, that thy word only may be spoken and thy word only may be received. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, this morning we learn a very important lesson. We learn that contrary to popular belief, when it rains outside, Christians do not melt if they go outside. <laughs> it's good to see so many of you here this morning on a rainy day. Uh, today is the feast or the solemnity of the Feast of the Holy Eucharist. Thursday was what is commonly called and most widely known as Corpus Christi. Uh, in the Anglican Church, Anglican Communion, we call it the Feast of the Holy Eucharist, the Feast of the Blessed Sacrament. And it's a day that celebrates the real presence, Jesus Christ truly present in the body and the blood. It's a day, or this is a, a little string we've had recently of doctrinal feast. Last Sunday at our parish picnic, when we were outside enjoying the wonderful weather and all of that, we celebrated Trinity Sunday, the doctrine that tells us, that discloses to us, that explains the relationship of God to himself and to us. This Sunday relationship, this Sunday celebrates Christ's presence with us in the Eucharist and the joy we celebrate its institution. The other major feast of the Holy Eucharist is Monday Thursday, and that's a bit more somber as we prepare for Christ's passion, as we also receive the other um, commandment to love one another. Today, or this week, we've been celebrating Corpus Christi, the real presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. And uh, though not in the South, uh, there are, uh, in many places, great festivals going on, great pomp and circumstance surrounding the festival of the Holy Eucharist. And I can remember uh, very clearly when I was in Chicago, we would do this on Thursday and on Sunday. We would have great outdoor processions where we would go uh, down Sheridan Avenue by the lake and, and all through uh, the Rogers Park neighborhood where the church was. I remember it so well because it was one of the times of most embarrassing or more embarrassing times um, in my life is in my ministry. It was the first time I became very self-aware of what it is I'm doing. I became very self-aware of, of some of the uh, striking differences. So as we processed all 150 of us down the street in Rogers Park I couldn't help but look at people's reaction because it wasn't like Sunday morning here if you see someone during church hour on Sunday morning they're usually running and hiding uh, as not to get caught most people on Sunday morning are in church or at home waiting until 1130 and it's safe to go out not so in Chicago the world went on the world goes on there are people walking about everywhere playing soccer, driving cars, going about their business. And so as we made our way through Rogers Park, we were met with all kind of reactions. Most, a great majority of those reactions were either laughter, laughing at us because of what we were doing, thinking it was humorous. We were heckled, thinking what we were doing was stupid. We were mocked pointed at, and as I was walking down the road holding a cross, it was odd to be mocked at, to be laughed at, to be called stupid. 
unenlightened. All of those things. So the reactions there were very hostile. I have a dear friend of mine who's um, a priest in New York, and they get the same reactions there. Hostility. Laughter. As we process our beliefs through the public square, we're laughed at. But there's often hostility between the world and the church, and it gets worse and worse, as I, I believe. The world finds the church to be superstitious, full of superstition, fairy tales, fantasy. The world finds the church to be ignorant, unenlightened, having less idea and understanding of what is going on in the world, having less idea and understanding of the world itself. Or worse, that the church, that the Christian faith is a chain around your neck that holds you down. Sedative, opiate for the masses it's been called. It is nothing more than a tool to keep people from rebelling. So there's often hostility between the world and the church. In this past week, I was fortunate enough to go and catch a movie. The movie only showed for a week in Hattiesburg, so it's gone now if you're interested. Uh, but it was a movie called For Greater Glory. Now the movie told the story or the tale of the Cristero War that began in 1926 and ended in 1929 when President Elias Callas took over. He was an um, atheist dictator or president of Mexico uh, and one of his goals or aims, one of his big pushes, was to secularize Mexico, to rid Mexico of any public faith, to rid Mexico of any footholds of faith, such as education. So things he did was he uh, outlawed the public, uh, public services of Christianity, he outlawed expressions of Christianity. And there became an outcry. People protested uh, nonviolently. And after that, when he realized that did not work, he went into some of the churches, executed the priests at the altar, drugged them out into the middle of the square and hanged them. He murdered several congregations of people for worshiping after he said not to. And so the Cristero War began. Faithful Christians rose up against the government there. And to me... It was extremely moving movie. But critics, almost to a T, gave it horrid reviews, said it was boring, was not worth wasting your time to go see, that it was a terrible documentary, that it was not worth the time or effort that was put into it. Now, audiences, on the other hand, loved it. They found something much different there. So critics found it boring and pointless, Fans found it inspiring. And that's the way it is with faith a lot of times. What most inspires us, what we find meaningful, inspiring, the world or critics find boring and pointless, useless, unenlightened. And that's where we are as we celebrate this feast of doctrine. That the body, the bread and wine are truly the body and blood. In a sacramental mystery, they are the body and blood of Christ. What we say is central to our lives, the world says, pointless. 
Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, in Sunday school, we went over that um, this morning. Um, it's very hard, hard teaching. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have not life in you. After Jesus tells us this, if we read on a little bit more, it says that many of His disciples left Him after that day. I'll grant you it's a hard saying, a hard verse. But it is what we believe is true. It is what we believe to be objectively true. That in the Holy Eucharist, we are joined to Jesus Christ. In the Holy Eucharist, we are given life, life eternal. We are given the same stuff that we are given that feeds us eternally. We are given the same stuff that keeps us in glory forever. So in the Holy Eucharist, we are united, we are joined, we become one with Jesus Christ in the action of the Eucharist. And that's what we celebrate. Now we are joined, we say, in a more or a different and more powerful way than we are in any other way in our life. More so than prayer or meditation or acts of mercy that is only here, gathered together, what you came through the rain and risked melting for, to come here and partake in the Eucharist. You're joined to Christ in a way that you're joined to eternal life. That through the Eucharist you have life in you. That through the Eucharist you know love, you know life, you know joy, you know peace, you know God. And that can be found nowhere else. You have all wisdom. That can be found nowhere else. So, if you do not have that life, then you mock it. You do not understand. Hence, critics. We claim to have a life here that can be found nowhere else. To have a joy here that can be found nowhere else. To have a peace here that can be found nowhere else. To have a happiness here that can be found nowhere else in no other thing. And many people throughout time and history have given their very lives for that cause. Have risked their very lives for the cause of the liturgy. To be able to celebrate the Holy Eucharist. To be united to Jesus Christ in it. Many priests, as I've said, like in the Cristeros War and in other places, have died rather than run away and abandon their altar. Faithful have come here and been shot rather than abandon their parishes. They have come knowing it meant their lives. They have come also knowing that they would receive life, that here was the truth. In prison camps, you hear, read stories all the time, like the Gulag Archipelago or other, other books and stories of, of priests and faithful in prison camps that would risk everything just to celebrate the Eucharist on Christmas morning, just to celebrate the Eucharist on Easter. Hundreds of times shot just to celebrate the Eucharist, to proclaim faith. In Soviet Russia, the church had to hide underground for decades and they did so. Many priests died, others went underground, and the faith was kept alive in the gutters and alleyways, in the basements, and in the woods. People gave all because they knew that all was given here. 
the author of the Gulag Archipelago, the book I mentioned, Alexander Solonitsyn, um, says something very interesting or something I've, that struck me. He says, what the Soviet death camps could not do, Western secularism is doing more effectively. So here's a man who witnessed the attempt to kill, to crush faith in the, in the Soviet death camps an attempt to crush hope altogether. And he says that secularism is doing a more effective job than the Soviet death camps were. Now secularism says that the individual is the highest authority. What I believe, what I feel, what I find to be true is the highest authority. There is no objective truth, secularism says. It's, there's a plurality of truths. That What is true for me might not be true for you. What is true for you might not be true for me. Cultural relativism. What is true in this culture is not true in another. What is true in that culture might not be true here. Most of all, his rejection of the Christian church is unenlightened, of the Christian church having nothing worthwhile to offer to the world. It's philosophies, it's morals, it's faith. It has nothing to offer but a millstone around the neck of someone in the real world. So this attack on the faith is rejecting the faith as any relevant at all is more dangerous than the Soviet death camps. And here's some person who lived through that, who gave his life, risked his life to practice his faith. So in this world we live in, we're not, don't have death camps. Priests and faithful are not shot for gathering. The worst we have to do is get wet some mornings. But we must ask the question on this day that we rejoice in Christ's presence here, the day that we rejoice that we are united to God through Christ in the Holy Eucharist, we rejoice that we are given life and love and happiness and peace that the world cannot take away here. What is it worth? How are you fed? So many people have died to defend Eucharistic practice, liturgical faith, because they knew that this is where true life was had, not out there, here. How important is that to you? How important is your life in church to you? There are many things that vie for our loyalty, whether it be cartoons on Sunday morning, sports, recreational activities, shopping. A lot of things demand our time, ask for our time. But how loyal are you to the place and to the faith that gives you life and joy and happiness? Or do you take it for granted? Many people now say the church is archaic and unenlightened. Do you find truth within these walls and within our liturgies and within our prayers? Or somewhere else. This faith, this day, this celebration says that there is only one place that life is to be had and life eternal and that is here. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have not life in you. This is where we gather together. This is where we Find love, find life, find happiness, find joy, find forgiveness, find life.
What does it mean to you? What is it worth to you? Where's your priorities? What makes the world make sense? I'll leave you with a quote from my favorite author, Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, he was a man of deep faith, and a man of deep faith in what we celebrate today. I'll leave you with this quote. Out of the darkness of my life, so much frustrated, I put before you the one great thing to love on earth, the blessed sacrament. There you will find romance, glory, honor, fidelity, and the true way of all your loves upon earth. And more than that, death. By that divine paradox, that which ends life and demands the surrender of all, and yet by the taste of which alone can what you seek in your earthly relationships be maintained or take on the complexion of reality, of eternal endurance that every man's heart desires. He says, out of the darkness of my life, so much frustrated, I put before you the one great thing to love on earth, the blessed sacrament. Brothers and sisters, what does your faith mean to you? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.